Good morning. It is, a, it is a great joy and a privilege to share God's word to you this morning. And my name is Alvin Litonwa, and I serve on staff in this church. We are continuing in our study series in the book of Second Timothy. Personally, this series has really impacted in my life in very helpful and encouraging way. Uh, especially as I strive to grow in the teaching area of the ministry that God entrusted me. So this is really encouraging. So if this is your first time to visit us or you're a regular attendee of this church, I encourage you to please, if you have not attended these past days, weeks, go to our website, uh, www.redeemerdubai.com, and try to catch up with the previous sermons. It's very good. It's very helpful, very edifying. Now we move on to our passage. Second uh, Timothy is Paul's farewell letter to a young, timid, inexperienced pastor named Timothy. Paul, as we have learned from the past weeks, strongly urges this young pastor to be unashamed of the gospel, to boldly proclaim it, to guard it, and to pass it on to faithful men. In the passage that uh, Jenna read, Timothy Timothy, uh, was warned by Paul about the false teachings that's been lurking in the church in Ephesus. It has been destructive and spreading like cancer. The horrible effects of this false teaching had caused the saints to be disheartened, discouraged, divided, ungodly, and sadly, some swerved from the truth. That's why Paul urges Timothy to get the word right. The careful handling of God's word counters and prevents the spread of teaching that is ruining the fate of the believers in Ephesus. <clears throat> Paul's letter to Timothy is applicable to pastors. In fact, it was really written to a young pastor. But as I was meditating this passage this past days, I believe that this is also applicable to all believers who are teaching God's word. Regardless, you are already teaching or you're preparing to teach. Either you're a community group leader, a Redeemer kids teacher, a parent trying to disciple uh, their children, a spouse who's trying to lead uh, their family devotional, or a colleague who's trying to seek biblical counsel from you. This is what we need to hear. We must understand, as teachers of God's Word, We have a huge responsibility in handling God's word correctly and to guard it against false teachings. Our main point this morning, a worker approved by God is a worker that rightly handles the word of truth and rejects divisive teachings. Let me say that again. A worker approved by God is a worker that rightly handles God's word of truth and rejects divisive teaching. With that, we have three-point outline. Number one, the approved worker rightly handles the word of God. That's verses 14 to 15. Number two, the approved worker rejects divisive teachings. That is verses 
16 through 18. And number three, the approved worker's assurance, which is verse 19. Number one, the approved worker rightly handles the word of God. Paul instructs Timothy in verse 14, remind them of these things. Who are them? Them here pertains to the faithful man that was mentioned in verse 2 of chapter 2. So what does Timothy need to remind them of? Well, basically he must remind them again of the gospel. Timothy must remind them of the gospel that saved them and called them to a holy calling. He must remind them of the gospel that abolished death and brought them life and immortality to light. He must remind them that the gospel must be passed on to faithful and able men who are able to pass it on to other men. He must remind them to share in the suffering for the gospel like the dutiful soldier, the disciplined athlete, and the diligent farmer. He must remind them of the reality of the gospel message that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, the son of David. Or the offspring of David. Timothy must constantly remind them of the gospel so that they won't get swayed by false teaching. In the second half of verse 14, Paul strongly urges Timothy to charge these faithful men to abstain from taking part of any foolish, senseless arguments. Verse 14. Charge them before God not to quarrel about words. Paul here is not saying be silent when the gospel is being challenged. Because we know from Galatians chapter 2 verse 11, he did stood up for the gospel. In defending and guarding the gospel, Paul is not silent. The reason why Paul doesn't want them to engage in this senseless foolish arguments because of verse 14. It does no good but only ruins the hearers. Paul is instructing Timothy to charge these faithful men not to engage in petty, senseless, foolish, or fighting with words. It's useless. It's fruitless. Because it's not building up or edifying the body of Christ. It does not encourage nor contribute to the spiritual growth of a believer. But instead, it causes them to be hateful and angry and prideful. I came from a church who ferociously debated if whether or not we should use drums and electric guitars in our service over the good old grand piano. As petty the argument was, It caused divisions. It caused factions. The youth versus the elderly. The pastors versus the rich influential members. It was ugly. There were word fights everywhere in the church building, out in the car park, inside the malls, fighting with words. The issue got so bad, it caused the church to split. Everyone was hurting, discouraged, and angry. The body of Christ, whom he bought by his blood, was divided because of a petty musical preference. Friends, 
Are you causing divisions inside the church over personal preferences? Do you quickly come down to someone who has different theological convictions than you have? Are we quick to debate? Are we argumentative? Are we defensive? Are we just angry people? Are we quick to post negative comments or memes on Facebook walls to express strong disagreements? Do you quarrel with words online over political candidates or parties? Do you still hold that grudge for so long from a loved one because of a petty, senseless fight? Friends, this should not be. In Tagalog, tama na. Stop. Kalas. I don't know an Indian word, I hope. I... <laughs> Help me out. Why? James chapter 1, verse 19 to 20. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. We should not be people marked by always arguing. Don't you just get tired of people always arguing in small things? It's the same thing in the body of Christ. It is not helpful. We are people who have been saved by grace. We should extend grace. Sometimes we, are, we feel this, you should extend grace to me. Instead of wasting time and energy on worthless, senseless, biblically groundless debates, Paul urges Timothy to use his words in right teaching, by teaching God's word. Verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Paul is not instructing Timothy to act in such a way to win God's favor. He's not coming, okay, Paul, act like this so that you win God's favor. No, he can't. None of us can. No one can win God's approval. No one can win the approval of a holy God Because we're a bunch of rejects because of sin. But God's approval was already won. Not by Paul. Not by Timothy. Not definitely me. Okay? It was won by Jesus Christ. When he lived in perfect obedience to the Father. Obedient unto death for the forgiveness of our sins. And restoring our relationship to him. Timothy was already a Christian. Thus, he has already been made approved by God because of what Christ has done on the cross. However, a mark of one approved by God is found in verse 15. A worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth. Um, Pastor Jason Barris, a couple of weeks ago, showed us that Paul gave a threefold picture of what a fruitful gospel minister looks like. In verse 2 of chapter 2, he calls it the dutiful, uh, it sounds like beautiful when I say it, I hope I'm not messing it up, dutiful soldier, 
the disciplined athlete and the diligent farmer. Now in verse 15, he adds another picture that describes a faithful gospel minister. And he pictures it as a worker. Or if I may add, the devoted workman. The devoted workman is skillful, faithful, and passionate in what he does and is not easily distracted or sidetracked at his work. He is willing to take pains in order to get his job done right. And what does an approved worker of God do? Rightly handles the word of truth. This means that he must rightly divide the word of God. Paul is instructing Timothy to be a worker approved by God by completely, accurately, clearly, and boldly teach God's word to his hearers. This is why in Redeemer, we prefer to positional sermons from the pulpit. Expositional sermons is where the point of the passage is used as the point of the message. That's why in our inductive Bibles, we, in, in, our small, in our small groups and community groups, we use the uh, inductive Bible study methods where we find the central truth of a passage and apply it in our lives. That's why we do one, and in our one-on-one uh, discipleship, we do Bible readings. Because in Redeemer, we believe that God's Word is the complete and final authority of our lives, not our opinions. Not our experiences. Not our testimonies. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. The approved workman is faithful in handling the word of truth. For those of us who are not teachers or preachers of the word, probably you're sitting there saying, this is not for me. Hold on. This also applies to you. Not only should we be faithful biblical teachers, we should also be faithful biblical listeners. Where the Christian listening agenda is driven by the meaning of Scripture. I'm going to be practical in a, uh, uh, at this part. I would like to give you six practical ideas to foster attentive listening to God's Word. This is before Friday mornings, during Friday mornings, after Friday mornings. How can we prepare for the sermon? Okay, Number one, before. Before Friday, meditate on the sermon passage during, the, during your quiet times. Okay, So uh, usually in Redeemer, we give out a sermon card. A sermon card is a schedule of preachers and the passage that they are going to preach on. I encourage you, if you need one, let us know. Approach uh, uh, the foyer. Uh, our ushering committee is going to our connections table. There will be people who will be helping you with this information. But look at next week's preaching. What is the passage? Meditate on it. Do devotionals on it. So that's how you get prepared. Second, be part of a community group. For those of you, what is a community group? It's like a Bible study group. Community because we're situated in different areas and we are in a way a small community of believers. So be part of that. Participate in the discussion. Because in our community group or groups, we discuss the passage before Friday. 
So this is a wonderful opportunity for you to hear other brothers and sisters what they think about the passage. And don't be silent. Participate. Maybe what you will say can edify a brother or a sister. Third, if you have children ages 10 to 12, we encourage you on a Friday morning at 9 a.m. to let them join the Jumpstart class. Okay, so what's happening in the Jumpstart class? This is a class that prepares these children to participate in our regular uh, worship service. So we teach them the order of service, uh, what's the passage. We are, in a way, jump-starting them for the service. So if, if you think you would like that, then please, again, after the service, approach our Connections team and ask for more information. So these are before. So what do you do during Fridays? I'll give a couple. One, first of all, remove any form of external distractions that can potentially take away your focus in the sermon. Well, what would that be? I'll give you an example. Silent mode. I'm not going to call out people, but silent mode. Because probably God is already speaking to the person beside you. And all of a sudden your phone rings. Or don't talk to your the people beside you, okay? Just focus on the sermon. Listen for the meaning of the passage of the scripture that the preacher is preaching. Accept the meaning as the main idea to be grasped for our personal lives as Christians. After sermon. And this is what Pastor Dave mentioned earlier, okay? After the service, we want all of us to talk about the sermon, okay? Not not talk about the jokes in the sermon, okay? But talk about what we have learned in the sermon. Uh, we, we go, most of us go to Alguera, let's eat lunch together. You can't go wrong with lunch, right? So let's all go to lunch together and discuss the passage. And I think Pastor Dave gave a series of good questions to ask. I'll give one. What impacted you in the sermon today? That would be a good startup question. Because the approved worker not only rightly handles the word of God, I go to my number two point, the approved worker also rejects divisive teachings. That's number two. The approved worker rejects divisive teachings. A worker approved by God is not an inventor of a new gospel, but is a faithful proclaimer and protector of it. Verse 16, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Irreverent babbling is more than fruitless chattering that was mentioned in verse 14. But it is the teaching of a false gospel. It's heresy. If the gospel gives life, then false gospel leads to death. In verse 17, Paul describes that the false teaching spreads like gangrene. Gangrene, okay, I'm not a medical expert. I may sound like one right now. But gangrene is a medical condition when a part of your body tissue decomposes or dies. I hope I got that right. (laughs) This condition spreads rapidly and dangerously to other parts of the body that leads to death. So it is not a good medical condition. You know, same goes with false teachings. This is how Paul described it. 
It spreads rapidly and dangerously infecting people in the church one member at a time. It leads people astray from the truth of Scripture towards worldly knowledge and passions. It kills the unity of the church, causes factions, hatred, and purity. It causes others to stumble. Paul names two false teachers in their midst, Hymenaeus and Philetus. These men were spreading unbiblical teaching in the church of Ephesus where Pastor Timothy is leading. These men had totally swerved from the right teaching of Scripture. Now, observe how subtle false teachers are. They were not denying the resurrection, but they have corrupted it by teaching that the resurrection has already happened. Okay? They believe that the resurrection only happens spiritually and that there will be no more bodily resurrection when Christ returns. That was the heresy that was going around. Listen, no matter how biblical it may sound, false teachings always contradict the biblical gospel. A worker approved by God rejects any form of divisive teachings. Friends, how well do you know the preachers that you usually watch in YouTube or listen in in podcast? Or the one that wrote the book or blog that you are reading. How well do you know them? Friends, listen. Not all preachers and writers that claim to be Christians are actually teaching the right gospel. It is not true what Joel Austin said, that your best life is now. Because Jesus said in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in earth, but in heaven. It is not true what Steve Furtick said that Jesus broke the law for love. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. It is not true what Apostor Apollos Kiboloi said that he is the appointed son of God and through him there is only salvation. Jesus said in John 14:6, I am the way. He didn't say I'm one of the ways. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Brothers and sisters, friends, do not listen to them. They're more. Don't read their books. Don't read their blogs. Don't watch their videos. Don't buy their materials. No matter how good it sounds, don't post their quotes on your Facebook walls. It will not edify you. It will not stir your affection towards Jesus. It's all irreverent babbles. It will lead you to be more and more ungodly to the point that you will be swerving from the truth without even you noticing it. Friends, if you are new in the faith or new to our church and you are not familiar with these names but you're enjoying their materials, I encourage you to do one of two things or both. After the service, approach our elders. Can I, can I request all of our elders to stand, please, so that they would see you? Approach our elders. Look around. If you think you're not sure what you're reading or watching, 
approach them and ask them if this is biblically right. Thank you, brothers. Our handsome, dashing elders. Okay. Or second, I would like to encourage you, after the service, visit the foyer. We have books, a bookstall. Okay? There are books there that we can say it's safe. It's biblically gospel-centered. So I encourage you to please, we have uh, very uh, nice uh, people who will help you, and you can ask them what you basically want. They will usher you to pretty good books. Okay? But please don't just pick up a material or, or click uh, faith and then go to YouTube and whoever preaches it just, well, don't. Be careful. Our culture today enjoys celebrity preachers. Listen what they have to say. But then again, if you know how to handle the word of truth, you will quickly discern discern what divisive teaching is. A worker approved by God not only rejects any form of divisiveness, but deals with it and prevents it from spreading. Third and last, the approved worker's assurance, verse 19. Since the teaching about the resurrection has been distorted, it had caused confusion Devastation among the hearts of the saints in the church of Ephesus, whose hopes are in Christ's return, who are hoping to be resurrected. Hymenaeus and Philetus, swerving from the faith, had probably caused a damaging blow on the church. They probably started doubting the assurance of the promises. Verse 19, so Paul reassures them. This is Paul's reassurance. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Paul reassures them with two powerful truths. First of all, 19b. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. The word know, okay, is not used as a sense of awareness, but rather someone who has an intimate relationship with God. We can see that in John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. I have a relationship with them. And they follow me. So Paul reassures them that though the elect, when we say elect, God's chosen people before the foundations of the world, has been deceived by false teachers, God's promise to the elect still stands. It will not change. Paul is saying, the Lord did not fail them, Timothy. Tell them that. The Lord did not fail. Timothy, tell them that they will be resurrected when Christ comes back. He is reassuring. Don't be disheartened. Those who have placed their faith in Christ, God has given the seal of the Holy Spirit to them as a sign of ownership. 
God now owns you because of the Holy Spirit. That's a seal of ownership. But we have a question. What do we do? But what do we do about Hymenaeus and Philetus? But didn't they lose their faith? Didn't they were formally following? All of a sudden, they did they lose their faith? No. They did not. Because they never had it in the first place. But the, aren't they Christians? First John chapter 2, verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they have been of us, they would have continued with us. But they were out that it might become plain that in the first place they were not part of us. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 22, from the mouth of Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everybody who says, I'm a Christian, is really a Christian. Not everybody who wears the t-shirt, I love Jesus, really loves Jesus. Or really... It's part of the kingdom of God. Doesn't mean that you grew up in a Christian home. You're a Christian. Friends, there's only one way. It's not your family. It's not your religion. It's not your shirts. It's Jesus Christ. Second assurance. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. This is another assurance that Paul gave to Timothy. He is saying that you will know who the elect are because they will continue to persevere in righteousness till Jesus Christ returns. That is one of the marks of a true Christian. He will persevere. He will not lose the faith. He will continue trusting Jesus. He will continue repenting. He will continue trusting. Regardless, there are, there are issues and storms and, 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 and false teaching. He will continue. She will continue in Christ. But then again, if we know how to handle the word of truth, our assurance comes from knowing the word of truth. You know, Paul wrote 2 Timothy while he was in prison, waiting for his execution. And I believe that one of the reasons why Paul strongly urges Timothy to correctly teach God's word is because he wanted him to finish well. He wanted his disciple to finish strong. Just like him. These are his last words and he's going to die. He doesn't want him to end up like Hymenaeus and Philetus who were, who were swerved from the truth. And I believe that the very reason why these false teachers are going around spreading irreverent babble and, and divisive heretical teachings is because they wanted power. They wanted authority. They wanted they wanted to be exalted in front of people. Brian was talking about pride, reading in the passage. 
That's, that's the root of it. That's why whatever comes out from the mouth came from the heart. They don't really care about holiness. They don't really care about the church. They care about themselves. Uh, friends, we are no different. The main reason why we love to quarrel with words, engage in, in senseless, foolish arguments, because in our hearts, we wanted control. We wanted to prove something. We wanted the glory. We wanted the praise. This intellectual debate really saying, I'm smarter than you. It's really in the heart. Look, the Bible says in the heart, in Jeremiah 17:9, the heart is deceitful and sick. Who can understand it? Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, out of the abundance of the, 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 the heart, the mouth speaks. Do you want to know what the heart looks like? The fallen nature of the heart? Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. And 19. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defiles a person. But what to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So whatever comes out from our mouth really came from our mouth. It reflects what kind of heart, what kind of heart you have. You know, and God will put us under trial one day, especially those who are teaching. But you know, there, there was a man who was brought under a trial. He was accused falsely with divisive words. Though he has, though he has the power and authority, he did not use it. Neither did he open his mouth. He was asked by the accuser, Tell us the truth. Are you the Christ, the Son of God? He could have easily said no and walked away alive. But he couldn't do it. He didn't do it. But he did not falter. He did not swerve from the truth. He opened his mouth and said, I am he as you have said. From that slapped his face. Beat him up, crown of thorns, stripped his clothes, nailed at the cross. At the cross, he's being judged by the Father. He was burying the sins of the world. He was being judged. And one of his final words is this Telestai! Which means, it is finished. But also, a deeper meaning is this. Paid in full. Paid in full. Our sins are paid in full on the cross. He died. Was buried. On the third day, has risen from the dead. 
went back to the Father, sitting at the right hand. Church, this is the gospel. This is the gospel that we must preach. This is the gospel that we must guard. This is the gospel that we must suffer for. This is the gospel that we must remember and pass on to our children and to the next children and to the next generation. This is the gospel that saved us. And this is the gospel that we must teach rightly. Let us bow our heads and close our eyes as we pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for reminding us of the gospel. The gospel that saved us and called us to a holy calling. Thank you that the gospel that abolished death and brought us to life. We praise your name, Jesus. We pray that we would be people who are marked by rightly handling your word of truth and not people who goes around spreading irreverent babble. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.